You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with myself Ian O'Connell is Breed Stack. Breed is a former Cork Ladies footballer. Breed is now playing Australian rules with the Giants over in Australia. We'll be talking about Breed's time playing in the GA, her move to Australia, a possible career ending injury, her successful sporting career so far and much more. Sit back and enjoy the show. Breed, thanks a million for, for joining me today. Perfect, no matter, Ian. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, I suppose we, we, we've we we've crossed paths a good couple of years now um, in uh, Collins Gym up in Cork, up in um, Elite, uh, Elite Fitness. So uh, great to always cross paths with you and uh, great to see you doing so well in, in Radio Kerry as well. Even though, even though I'm a, a Kerry man, you, you said you'd let me off for this interview. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I wouldn't hold that against you, boy. Uh, <laughs> That's a that's an ailment enough, I suppose. You know? yeah. Um, I always like to start with my with the guests to kind of ask them about their early life, growing up and stuff. Where in Cork did you grow up, and what was what was childhood like? Yeah, so I grew up in Rock Chapel. Um, I suppose maybe two miles from the Kerry border, two or three miles from the Limerick border. So. Uh, well used to great rivalries, I suppose, growing up, um, but well-grounded in Cork, inside the Cork border. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it would have grown up, it's a very small rural place, Rock Chapel is. Um, it would have been steeped in Ceoltas and uh, in GA, I suppose, football predominantly. Um, anyone that was kind of interested in hurling would have uh, played wheeling. Um, and then... Um, I suppose, yeah, we would have played badminton a lot. Um, great man, Timmy Toomey, would have set up badminton club there. So I suppose my early years in Rock Chapel were definitely involved in sport and music um, and the bog, I suppose. Look, we can look past the bog. The bog was um, a big feature in Rock Chapel. So, um, you know, we kind of got immersed in all three of those fairly early on. And, um, you know, we loved it. Like super, super childhood growing up, very active um, childhood. And, uh, yeah, I suppose very grateful to my parents for involving me in sport so young. Very good. My dad's from not too far away. He's from Borbui. Oh yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Not too, not, not too far away. Not too far away. A bit, yeah, they would be a bit more urbanized now, like you know the Borbui crowd because they had the secondary school and everything, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we would we wouldn't class them really as a village, like you know, Rockchapel <laughs> would be a lot more of a rural village. But um, yeah, no, she's uh, only over the road. And um, when did? Say Gaelic football come into your life, like you said, you with sports when you were when you were young and stuff. When did you kind of say, right, football is gonna be the one that I'm gonna to kind of focus on? Yeah, I suppose again, look, like I said, um Badminton was a big mainstay in um in Rock Chapel. I would have played it up until the age of eighteen. Um I suppose Dad was the local principal, so he would have made sure that everyone got heavily involved in football from a very young age. We would have had school leagues and things like that where all the boys and the girls all played together and we knew no different. We had a lovely pitch up the back of the school, probably a bit rocky now that you think about it. There was plenty of stones there, but, you know, they kind of hardened you up. And, uh, yeah, I suppose we... um you know, we would have been involved in it from, from school going age. And then um, I suppose there wasn't really a girls team growing up. So I would have played with the boys under age up as far as I suppose under 12 up until you were allowed. Um, and then, you know, thankfully there was a girls team, kind of an amalgamation team in the local area. 
um, in under 14s. And I suppose I was very fortunate um, in the area that I was in. I grew up playing with the likes of Narita Kelly, Maraid Kelly, uh, Regina Curtin, the Riley sisters, who all actually went on to be um, Cork players, you know, Geraldine Flynn. We all played together because there was such a, I suppose, um, you know, like I, there, there wasn't huge, I suppose we had a kind of a big enough catchment area because we had a senior team and uh, sorry, we started off as a junior team. We kind of progressed up to, through the ranks. But yeah, I suppose I, I was so fortunate to play um, football with all those girls. And, you know, from an early age when Rock Chapel was a, a junior club, um, I think we were we were all playing junior football when we were probably 12 years of age, which is probably unheard of now. But uh, it's the stuff that kind of that kind of makes you when you're younger, you get used to the rough and tumble. Um, like I idolised the Riley sisters growing up, Sinead and Deirdre, um, and I suppose, you know, to go on and play Cork with them was probably a massive thing, you know. Um, so that was probably our, our early years um, playing with the boys and then progressing on to playing club football. And, you know, you like club football in small areas and you probably know yourself, Ian, like, you know, there's uh, pockets of carry, no doubt. And, you know, you're kind of always scraping for numbers. And um, I think it kind of bonds you and it kind of makes you a bit tougher and there's a great kind of resilience there in kind of some of the smaller clubs where you know you're constantly trying to get numbers going and um, as I said I was very lucky to play with some great players and you know that team was challenging county finals in at senior level for many many years even though we might have only had you know 18 players like you know so um, that 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 setup I suppose early on definitely stood us in good stead um, as a lot of us went on to play with Cork you know. And um and like you said, it's kind of unheard of now playing junior that at that um that age. Do you know like a lot of people they play club football, then they go on to county and then when they retire they kinda of go back playing club football, you'd see that you'd see see that a lot. What was um what even now, like you said, when you were younger playing with the boys and stuff, have you seen even now, say the girls team that won the Euros in England have you seen a massive progression in women's sports, not even football? And how, how important do you think that is that the it's growing every every day? Oh yeah, like it's sure it's leaps and bounds, like I suppose it's poles apart from when we started, you know, and like that's wonderful to see. It is really wonderful to see. Um, I suppose look, even in the last 10, 15 years, I can't get over the progression of ladies football. There's under six teams, there's, you know, under eight teams, there's just massive numbers of girls coming out playing with their playing with their local clubs, which is unbelievable. Uh, there's pathways for them to try to progress onto county teams. Um, like it's really, really progressive. And I suppose up the the number of clubs that are in Cork, um, you know, playing junior, playing intermediate, playing senior. Like it, it's it's wonderful to see the amount of clubs that are set up, I suppose, when we were younger. Um Rock Chapel would have been kind of a mainstay club. Uh, it would have been the kind of only senior club in a, you know, in a massive catchment area. Whereas now there's loads of of junior clubs, I suppose, in the area. Um, so you know, people, I suppose, wanting to put their own stamp on their local area and and play up the grades and hopefully, you know, they come up through the ranks in time. But um, I suppose, yeah, just the sheer number of of uh, of participation is is wonderful to see and. Um, yeah, I suppose I definitely saw over in Australia, like it really opened my eyes, like the, 
you know, the, the pathways and the opportunities for women in sport in Australia is absolutely unbelievable. The level of resources that are put in, um, you know, I suppose the money that has gone into um, women's sport in Australia is absolutely through the roof. And I suppose, look, Ireland is definitely getting there slowly but surely. And I suppose you talk about the women's, um, you know, the, the women's are the Irish women's football or soccer team, how, how far they've come in such a short space of time, you know there was that massive news story where they had to change out of their tracksuits and toilets and hand back tracksuits. And, you know, now the progression of the team is just unbelievable and how they're so well supported now and, you know, massive crowds coming to, to support them. It's, it's just unbelievable. And I suppose long may it continue. It is. And um, like you said, that story about the, the tracksuits and stuff, and even you'd see like the government are kind of even promoting women's sports more than when, then I suppose they should have been over the last the last couple of, of years. Um, you were saying there about playing club with all them the women that you named that you went on to play Cork with Cork with. What was um I like I always ask people, what was your Cork debut like? Do you know, running out onto the, the pitch senior and or the nerves like before that? Do you, do you know what? I can actually barely remember my my debut because um there would have been a few of us. I think it was myself and Rena Buckley. Um, we basically like we would have been playing kind of junior um, with Cork, like at under sixteen level. So even that in itself, I suppose, is a bit mad. Kind of nowadays, like yeah. you know, but uh, the like the team or the senior team, sorry, even at that time was a little bit fragmented. Like you know, there was kind of it. Kind of was a case of who's around to play senior football. Like I suppose there wasn't the not that there wasn't the professionalism, but there wasn't the structure kind of in place. Um, so it kind of was a little bit fragmented when I was kind of underage looking up at the senior team. A lot of, um, I suppose there was a lot of club rivalries there um, and they were very, very strong club rivalries. And I suppose that it was even involving ourselves, Rock Chapel with Dunamore, like we had a huge rivalry with them. So there would have been a lot of kind of, not tension in in, um, in dressing rooms, but like the senior setup was just kind of a little bit, if, if you turned up, you kind of sat with your club players and uh, yeah, there wasn't a great, I suppose, um, interaction kind of between all the players. So um, I remember myself, Marina Buckley, getting a call up that the senior team were a bit stuck for numbers. Um, we were under 16 at the time and it was to go on and play um, with the seniors against Clare. And I just remember... Uh, I just remember being on sideline just looking at these women from Clare and I mean they were women like they were they had shoulders as big as my father and that is not like that's not um, you know a derogatory mark by any chance they were just women and we were just little girls like myself and Rena. and I remember oh god like we just got thrown around the place anyway for a lot of that game but uh, it was like it was a great eye opener and it was a great kind of, I suppose, introduction to senior football and kind of it showed me fairly fast, like, you know, that like senior football is just a, such a, a different kettle of fish and, and Claire were, were, you know, a super team back then. And um, I suppose, look, in two short years, actually, sorry, probably only in one short year after that, uh, the senior setup got completely um, turned on its head. There was kind of a, a, a massive kind of... Um, what would you call it like a, an intervention kind of of sorts and uh Eamon Ryan was br was brought in as a uh, head coach Mary Collins was brought in from my look from my club Rock Chapel she came in as manager 
There were brilliant selectors brought in, the likes of Frankie Honehan. Um, and just the whole structure kind of got renewed. Eamon Ryan was absolutely instrumental in bringing um, players from all different clubs together and working together. And I suppose the common goal over time, over that two, two short years, I suppose, became Cork-centric, whereas it always would have been club first. Um, and Cork kind of, you know, was a bit of an afterthought. And he just had this unbelievable ability to bring, uh, I suppose, players together to a common goal that we park all our differences and we're working together now for this Cork goal. And I suppose it was the start to something that we couldn't have ever envisioned back then what it became, you know. You um, you obviously, uh, when he came in then, you obviously have played under a number of coaches throughout your, your career in football and over in Australia and stuff, would he have been would he have been one of the the coaches that you've seen that he kind of turned around the team? Yeah, he was without question. Like I was probably I probably served the longest under Raymond, but um, of of any coach I've ever had. But he was without a question. He was the best coach I've ever played under. Um, his man management, his ability to get the best out of players, his calmness, um, his humility. I suppose just he led by example from the absolute start. And, you know, he was the type of coach that from day one till my very last day playing under him, you always wanted to impress him and you always wanted to play for him. And I think to be that type of person that can still be getting something out of players, you know, over a 10 year period is is a massive testament to the man um, and what he did for our team. And yeah, just he... I suppose, you know, like um, he often said, you know, any team can kind of win one All-Ireland and, you know, a good team will win an All-Ireland. But, you know, great teams are able to back it up year on year. And I, I genuinely believe that we would not have won um, consecutive All-Irelands, first of all, um, back-to-back All-Irelands without him being at the helm. Because, he, as I said, he just led, led by example and... Uh, I think every one of us followed suit. Now, obviously, look, we had a great team and we had great balance all over our team. And you do obviously need great players and, you know, a great um, balance of players who are all kind of in the same mindset and are all very intrinsically motivated. But you still need someone at the helm that can keep everyone grounded and keep everyone's feet on the floor and still, as I said, get the best out of people. And I don't know how he did it, but he managed it anyway for well over 10 years. And it's great to be able to look back and have that memory of him to say he was he was almost like the 16 player on the on the on the team. Um, like you said, back to back all Ireland's, and you you obviously have a number of all Ireland's in in the in the back pocket, as they they say. What would have been if you were to pick before we move on from football? If you were to pick out of all the all Ireland's, did one stand out like you got? You got player to match in was the two thousand and seven All Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I got player to match in two thousand seven and the two thousand and nine. I think. Did um, anyone stand out in particular out of all the All Irelands? Yeah. Um. I suppose like cheapers. There's there's probably three or four that are really really prominent in my mind. Um. I suppose the first All Ireland is always the one that I yeah. I probably you know feel the closest to. Um, I suppose I was only eighteen years of age. Um, you know playing that All Ireland, 
uh, getting to run out in Croke Park with my best friends. And I suppose for the All-Ireland to go the way it did, um, we were complete underdogs going in there. And, you know, like it, there was actually a picture circulated um, a couple of years back of our last training session before that All-Ireland. And looking back on that picture, it's just hilarious. We're there in mismatched everything. Uh <laughs> All the young faces just looking up at the camera, um, just pure hope and excitement in our eyes, um, just like young calves ready to go out, like dancing around the field. Like that's what we were like. Um, and as I said, everyone in just complete mismatch gear. There was just everyone was wearing their club club gear and stuff like that. Like it there was, was just, no half zips and O'Neill's tracks. No, no fancy stuff now, no fancy dance stuff, uh, no fancy boots. I'd say everyone was wearing black boots and, uh, you know, it was just a sign of, I suppose, uh, like just sheer, there was just sheer determination and we didn't need any fancy things. It was just a case of we had such belief in each other and belief in Eamon and belief in the setup. And, you know, we went out and did it. And, you know, it was just the most amazing All-Ireland. Um, and I suppose what followed afterwards, my God, I'd say there was three months of celebrations that like places probably needed floors changed after us. Like, you know, it was great crack like and I suppose that carried some serious momentum then into the second year. And sure, God almighty, like Eamon was a massive fan of celebrating wins, you know, because they can be so fleeting. And I suppose we never knew back then, you know, the roller coaster that lay ahead. So it was very important always to him to celebrate wins. Um, and I suppose, look, we did that. And, you know, those type of, those type of, um, like they, they do become bonding sessions really like, yeah. and they bring they bring a group closer together and you know thankfully we'd many years of those bondings and you know things nearly became in you know intuitive like on the field we actually were probably a very quiet team as the years went on in that like really? I knew exactly I knew exactly what Geraldine was going to do beside me I knew exactly the way Breach wanted the ball I knew exactly the way that if I got a ball Breach was running off me or Rena was coming up or if a ball went past me that Angela was coming out she was always unbelievable for getting a step in front of her player so there was just an intuition between all of us um, and a massive trust and that came after years obviously of playing together but it also came with being great friends off the field and you know having that crack off the field was very important so uh, the first All-Ireland definitely is very very special to me uh, the 2007 um, is special because we beat Mayo in the final. And I think that was really significant because Mayo were the queen pins for many, many years before we ever came on the scene. They had four All-Irelands under their belt. And I suppose to beat a team of Mayo's calibre, um, I think, and to beat them, to have to have put in a complete performance, I think, against them was something that our team had hoped to do for many years. Was and that we probably game that kind of gave a statement like, yeah, I suppose to us, yeah, to us it was like, and it actually was a three in a row, but I don't think any of us even registered that it was a three in a row. Like the first All-Ireland was an enigma in itself. The yeah. second All-Ireland, I think we kind of nearly fumbled, stumbled kind of across the line against Armagh. We didn't have a great game. So to have such a complete performance against Mayo was was a massive deal. And I think it was something that a lot of us really whole dear is that All-Ireland and then obviously a lot of people will always talk about the 2014 All-Ireland the big comeback yeah. um, and look that that obviously was unbelievable but there's so many special ones that 
Um, I suppose that was probably the one that people really stood up and took notice, even though, you know, we had been on the scene for 10 years at that stage. That was probably the one that people really stood up and took notice. And, you know, thankfully, that was the one that uh, people voted with their Texas uh, in for the team of the year. And I suppose that was something that was really lovely for Eamon to get, you know, that, that like, and I suppose obviously all the team, but I think for Eamon, like, you know, I suppose, you know, to see that there was this public um, kind of respect was was very, yeah. very important to him and to obviously to all of us. That's, um, I think it's great to be able to look back on the, the first one, you know, mat, not matching tracksuits and stuff. It's more it's more like, I suppose, especially one way that you look back and say, right, it wasn't all modern like it was, you know, like things are are, are today. Um, while you were playing football and towards the the end of your time playing football in Ireland, did you always know in the back of your head that you are going to go to, to Australia or did it just come up out of the, the bloom? Oh, come here, out of the blue completely. Um, I suppose I finished up my playing career um, football. I was extremely content um, with my footballing career. I was ready to kind of move on to the, the next kind of section of my life. We had set up our our uh, our business myself my husband and his two brothers we own a, a sports a supplement and a health supplement business in in cork called my core supplements so that was obviously taking a, a massive amount of time and it you know when any business is in its infancy it requires a massive amount of, of manpower and and man hours so that was obviously taking a lot of my time um we had gotten married in 2016 and you know obviously we were hoping to start a family in the coming years so um football i had kind of parked it and i was like very very content just going back playing club football um, I had moved clubs at that stage because we had moved up to Cork and I was yeah. playing club football with St. Fells and absolutely loving club football and, you know, just the enjoyment that I still got from playing club, club football. So I was extremely content with my lot, to be honest. Um, and then I suppose out of the blue, this this call from Australia came um, from Alan McConnell, who is the head coach of of the GWS Giants down in Sydney. And I suppose I had no, I had followed bits and pieces of it because obviously I'd followed uh, Cora's journey and, you know, she had been there since 2017 and, you know, had probably opened a pathway for a lot of girls, you know, that this was uh, something viable. Um, and yeah, I just fo- kind of followed her career with it, like, you know, but never, never kind of gave it too much thought. And, and then this phone call came from Australia and, uh geez at the start I was I was actually pregnant when I got the phone call so I was kind of like jeepers like this is uh I don't know I don't know how this is going to go you know so can I kind of come back to you in a couple of months like whatever and uh look thankfully had a healthy pregnancy was able to train away throughout it um had a healthy birth which was super and you know you never know how these things go had a very happy healthy baby um which was which was wonderful so you know maybe when when Ogie was maybe about four months old, I suppose. Um, not that I, not that I still knew what I was doing with him, but I kind of felt like that, uh, you know, he was, he was, he was kind of an easy baby, thank God. And, uh, I was able to get back gymming and stuff. And I suppose I got back to Alan McConnell and I kind of said, look, what's, you know, what's the timelines of things? And, uh, we kind of, kind of trash things out and see if we could work make it work so I wasn't actually traveling to Australia until kind of the following October which gave me a good 
you know, a good eight, nine months of uh, of hard work um, at home in Cork. And I suppose that's when I went into Colin a lot inside an elite recovery where where you do a lot of training as well. And, uh, you know, geez, he, he absolutely, <laughs> he nearly killed me. Oh, my God, he nearly killed me. But, um, you know, it was the best thing for me. Like I, I, I needed kind of a lot of one-on-one training. I had been kind of out of, I suppose, uh, kind of out of real hard training Um. I suppose pre-baby I suppose I was out of hard training with a good year so um you know I need I needed someone and and thankfully he was a great man to have in my corner and you know yourself he's a great man to push you to your limits and no sympathy yeah try to get no sympathy and and makes you you know reach your potential which is very very important not that not that anyone ever reaches their potential fully but he'll, he'll push you as close to it as possible and um yeah I suppose I I thankfully went over to Australia in in great condition um probably in the best condition that i'd i'd been in a long time like you know and and i had been in good condition towards the end of my career with cork because i think when you get towards the end and you get a bit older you definitely mind yourself a lot more and you do all the extras that you can all the one percenters to get the most out of yourself so you know to, to go over in the condition that i that i did go over i was absolutely delighted you know and i felt really good because I felt so I was going over to a new game. That was a challenge enough. I needed to make sure that my fitness wasn't something that I needed to question. So my fitness and my strength were really, really good. Um, and then I just had to put all my focus into learning, you know, how to make this ball do something that I wanted it to do. And um, I suppose learn all the rules. So um, that was important, I suppose, going over to Australia. Seeing from social media and stuff, when your son, like he's, He's, if you ask me, he's more like a, a mini mascot for the team. With um, when he was over there in Cora, was obviously she seems to be like she was. You know, it was obviously unreal having someone over there that was from that came from Ireland and stuff, and she probably helped you to 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 settle in as well. Did um in two thousand and twenty one last year was it preseason? You um you 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 had a bit of a an accident that you didn't see coming and that kind of did it kind of throw off your your first season how how did that how did that play out yeah so I suppose yeah look like I said I went over in in super condition um and just yeah just something I suppose towards the end of that first um practice game versus Adelaide um yeah there was a, a coming together definitely and I suppose look uh um, uh, I suppose it was something that I'd never, I, I'd never foreseen. Um, I, I'd been playing really, really well. I'd attacked absolutely every single ball, you know, that, that I had gone for over 70 minutes. I had, you know, taken loads of tackles. I'd laid tackles. I'd put my head over the ball the same way that I did for the past 70 minutes and in all the training sessions. And yeah, it was just, oh, it was I'll never, I'll probably never forget the pain, um, you know, of that incident. Um, it's something I probably took a while, a long time to get over. And, uh, I suppose thankfully throughout my football career at home in Ireland, I, I'd never suffered a long-term injury. I'd never suffered a very serious injury. Um, the most I'd probably ever done was I tore my hamstring, um, maybe a couple of times in one season that was probably the extent of the of the injuries I've ever had at home um which was which was wonderful but this was different this was this was scary to be honest it was um it was, it was up ex- high your neck as well up near the cervical area was it 
yeah it was my c7 um so i broke my neck um I broke my neck and I heavily impacted um, my a nerve that ran down my right arm. So I suppose when the, you know, when the collision happened, I just, I, this shock and this pain just shot through my system. Um, I actually didn't know if I had broken my arm or if I'd broken my neck. Such was the pain in both. Um, and as it turned out, like the right arm was just nerve, nerve damage. Um, just this, I could, I had no control over my right arm. I honestly looked, I, I was kind of afraid to look at it at the start in case it was kind of facing the other direction. But, uh, Cora came over to me straight away, assured me that it, it was fine. Um, but the pain in my neck just wouldn't, geez, it, it would not subside. Um, and I suppose I'm so, so grateful to the doctors and the physios yeah. that were on site that day because they were so careful in their procedures and I suppose just their, how they went about it. They called the ambulance straight away. The doctor and the physio would not let go of me in, in, uh, I suppose, keeping my neck steady and stable. Uh, and like, I suppose, you know, after a while you kind of get a bit anxious. You're kind of like, you know, I'm fine. Like I'm fine. And you'll be kind of pushing fellas off and going, no, 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 I, I'm fine to get up. I'm fine to get yeah. up. And you know, the doctor and the physio just would not let go of my neck. And I'm so grateful to them because, you know, um, I suppose I found out later on in the hospital that I was, you know, millimeters from paralysis, which is um, a very, very scary um, thought. Um, obviously, you you know yourself, Ian. Um, it's, uh, I suppose, a, a very daunting prospect. And, um, you know, I suppose that that day I was just very lucky. Um, and it didn't hit the, the, the spinal cord like? Yeah. Yeah, so um, just very lucky, and um, I suppose yeah. Look, I, I'm just so grateful to the the medical system over um, in Australia. It's absolutely unbelievable, and um, you know, I suppose I definitely count my blessings that you know I I was lucky in that respect. You know, absolutely. Before we finish up, um, <laughs> a question I wanted to ask was: Say you've been playing football in Ireland for so so many years, and over now when you're in Australia and stuff, the difference in recovery from from the AFL and GA is it a lot more intense the recovery because the game is a lot rougher or how did you find recovery? Um, I suppose the big difference between the GA and uh, the AFLW that I noticed is time. Time is the biggest thing. Um, you Like at home, um, obviously it's, it's, it's voluntary. It's on a voluntary basis. Um, everyone is working. Everyone comes from work. Everyone has families at home. They've other commitments. They might have side jobs going on. Um, they could be coaching teams. There's just constant, uh, commitments, I suppose, at home in, um, at the GA. And I suppose when you're over in Australia, you don't have all those things pulling you in different directions. Um, you're, you're there, I suppose I was there essentially to play, to play. And, uh, you know, you, um, your focus, I suppose you definitely have, have a lot more time to use all the recovery resources that are there in the club, you know, like the, the ice bats, the recovery boots, the physios, the doctors, um, you know, anything that you want is laid on there, which is unbelievable. And I suppose the facilities a lot better over there, breed. Uh, yes. Was all the boy, like, you know, 
you're using the AFL's facilities, which yeah. is the big thing. So the AFLW comes under the AFL um, umbrella, which yeah. is something I suppose that is really. I suppose I always I always felt that the that the ladies football should come under the the GA, but that was something that was definitely cemented over in Australia. Um, was definitely cemented over in Australia because I saw firsthand having the same resources that the lads have. It's just top tier stuff, and um, I. But as I said, the big difference is time. You have time to review footage. You have time to recover. You have time to have extra time with your coaches because your coaches are generally there in a full-time capacity. So they have time to go through extra stuff with you. My first two years over, Alan McConnell, as I said, was the head coach. I'd say we did extras with him every single day. And, okay. uh, you know, that stands to having that time to do those extras and, and get a bit better. But, like, you needed to do that as an Irish player going over to a new sport. You needed to do all those extras. But, yeah, I suppose the biggest thing was was definitely time. And I suppose from a personal point of view, because um, I was going over with a young family, the thing that I probably hold dearest is that we had so much time with Ogie, you know. Yeah. Um, as I said, when you're at home in Ireland, you'd be pulled left, right and centre. And, you know, you'll always find jobs to do at home. Whereas, you know, over there to have so much quality time with him and for both of us to have so much quality time and to have the adventure that we had with him you know it's something that I'll hold so so dear and uh, yeah I suppose I'm forever grateful for the opportunity um, especially being older like you know every, all the girls going over now you see them now Ian like they're 22 23 years of age so it was probably a bit unorthodox that I got I got this opportunity at 33 34 years of age you know and um, I suppose I definitely count myself very lucky uh, for the opportunity that I was given you know like you said, Cora kind of paved the way for for the likes of you to to go over and play. Do you hope um like the likes of um is it Orla Dwyer from our Tipperary? She's yeah. playing over there. Are you hoping to see more people kind of going through maybe towards the end of their football career going over to Australia? Yeah, I suppose. Look, it's it's a it's a tough one because um you you don't want to see girls leaving ladies football yeah too early I suppose look I was very fortunate I had finished my playing career I had I was very very content and you know it wasn't uh you know taking a player I suppose from um from a team um but I suppose look you just have to look at it there's a, a couple of girls that had probably finished up playing with their counties the likes of um I suppose Anya Tai um Anya McDonough who went over this year she hadn't played with Galway in, in you know a year or two she went off playing basketball Aileen Gilroy had stepped away from Mayo so there was a couple of girls who had stepped away but then obviously you know you look at probably the likes of Vicky Wall and Erica O'Shea who who went over this year who had two phenomenal seasons but obviously look they're they're coming from two great teams then in, in Meath and Cork and um, so you know I suppose it's it's difficult it's a difficult one to balance I can only kind of I suppose give my assessment on it and I, I love and I'm very thankful that I had a, a playing career with Cork you know before going over um, I couldn't have imagined ever um, not playing with Cork uh, to be honest uh, that would always have had my heart you know so um, it must be very very difficult for the girls going over to make that decision if they're still playing with the county you know so especially too early and like you said there's positive positives and, and negatives last question the weather 
that's a massive positive. If it was for me anyway, I'd be gone in the morning. What was the, the weather? You'd be gone. Out sunning. You'd be out sunning, um, Ian. Um, do you know what? The weather was actually not hectic this season, I suppose. When you go, when we went over this season, the season had changed. I'm not sure if, if you're aware of that, but the, the, the timeline of the season changed. So we actually went over in... Uh, I suppose their winter time, really. Um, yeah. So, Jeepers, we'd we'd plenty rain over in Sydney now. So you know there wasn't there wasn't Not much. Not to, to be on social media. <laughs> there wasn't much to be jealous. Of. I can tell you there was plenty washouts over in Sydney. And by God, when it rains there, it is thunderstorm stuff, you know. Um, but I suppose as the season went on, you kind of broke into spring. And, and you know, as I, as I was leaving, you broke into summer. So um, I suppose, yeah, like um, the season is is nearly coming to a finish. They're now next week, the this weekend coming there's the grand final um which is basically like the all ireland final so um you know that's happening at the at the at the start of summer and there's there's lovely weather over there at the, at the moment so uh you definitely feel the chill a lot more here when you're looking at some of the girls pictures but um yeah look the the weather is obviously a, a factor it has probably changed in that the season has changed. So now you're going over into winter. And I know uh, the girls in Melbourne um, had a very, very wet winter. So uh, so maybe they're only sharing the nice days. Do you know that way, yeah, Ian? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Are they sharing kind of the, the gloom and, and rainy days? So, um, yeah, look, it's a, like, obviously, look, the weather is a lovely factor. And as as the, as the teams are finishing up now, um, you know, you can imagine that a lot of the Irish girls will stay on for a bit uh, do a bit of traveling enjoy the weather and then you know it's lovely to be home in time for Christmas because last season uh, you had to be over there during the Christmas period which was obviously very difficult to to be away for Christmas so um, I suppose the change of season has definitely helped girls over you know Very good Breed thanks a million for coming on now and taking the, the time out of the day to have a, have a chat no bother, Ian, and thanks so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon in the in the gym. I'll be back uh, blowing a bit of black smoke, and but, you'll, be, <laughs> you, you'll be not a bother, and I'll be uh, I'll be laying out before you. I'd say so. I'll uh, be roaring across the gym. Do go on, get up that ro- steps. Roar away, roar away. I'll need it. I'd say, but uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, William Breed. No bother. Thanks, Ian. Now that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show, and I appreciate you tuning in as always. If you have any questions or requests for next week's show, you can contact me through my Instagram, enoconnell321, or through my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. I hope you're all having a great week so far. Stay tuned in to Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley is up next with That's Jazz. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Eno Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.